Hi, I'm Lori. And I'm Kevin. And this is No Longer Ashamed. We are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And we're here to share with you that if you're a survivor, you don't have to be alone. Our logo is a salamander. And the reason is a fire salamander can survive a fire and you have survived a fire. We want to help you with your journey to healing and hope. We are all survivors together and we walk this journey together. And you are not alone. By telling our stories, we are hoping that you will have the courage to share your stories as well and find your voice. Because stories are so important. And for so long, I know that I wouldn't tell my story. But when I finally shared my story, that's when I got my freedom. And this is our journey and your journey to healing and hope. So come with us. This is No Longer Ashamed. I'm Lori. And I'm Kevin. And we're talking about hyper or toxic masculinity. We have a panel with us today. Uh, we'll go around and introduce each one of our guests. They can say a little bit about themselves and then we'll come back and start with either a, maybe a definition of how they see it or how it has maybe played out in their life, if that sounds great. So first we have our good friend, Mike Chapman. Hello, Mike. Hi. Yes, uh, Mike Chapman. I'm a certified recovery life coach with Polar Life Consulting. You can reach me, polarlifeconsulting at gmail.com and also with Husband Material, and that's with husbandmaterial.com. And then a frequent guest on No Longer Ashamed. So it's always a pleasure to come back. And Mike went through the recovery coach training that I offer, which I also put on our Facebook page if anybody's interested in that. So yes, thank very you. Helpful. Thank you, Mike. And then we have Nathan Spiteri with us. Hello, Nathan. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. This is my second time on the show. So I'm, I'm honored to be back and or to be invited back. A little about me, I guess I'm, I'm from Australia. I live in New York now, but I'm a sexual abuse survivor as from a child and it, you know it went on for quite a few years very violent and rough and 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 all that stuff and now for me it's it's about giving back educating the world and i just had my memoir released last year and i'm, I'm doing a ted talk soon so it's about giving back it's about educating it's about changing the stigma and the narrative that is you know child and male sexual abuse and his book is called toy cars uh, sorry, yes, my book is called Toy Cars. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, all the bookstores. So get out and get it. It is very raw and real. Just a trigger warning. It is very raw and real. And, and I wrote it that way because I think if you are going to educate people, if if we are going to tell people what it is like to be abused and, and what one does as a result of that, I put all the details in there. And, you know, I, I don't shy away from it. And, and, you know, everyone who has read it and my reviews online have all been five star and amazing. So, you know, I, I think I, I've done the right thing there. And, and yeah, like I said, for me now, it's just about getting the word out and, and spreading the, the education and teaching people and just saying this, this happens every single day. It doesn't discriminate. And we need to, we need to change this. Funny story. When I interviewed Nathan, he said one of the biggest things is that we need to educate our children and they need to use proper language so that if they are being abused, they have the right language. So fast forward that I'm talking to a friend of mine who's a grandma who's telling me, uh, my grandson, who is two, just asked me if I had a vagina <laughs> and uh. she was she was offended. And I said, listen, 
I know that that caught you off guard, but seriously, your daughter, by teaching him that early on, even though it's uncomfortable when he's asking the lady at the grocery store or grandma, if she has that, but that is the language we want our kids to be learning. So I, I think it's that whole education piece. And then the older people get offended, but they have to learn too, right? Tell me, Nathan. It's saying that, exactly, exactly. Yes, we need to educate our children. But in order to educate our children, we as adults need to educate ourselves first. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm. Why if we're not going to educate ourselves? And yes, we can educate our kids and say it's a vagina and it's a penis. That's what it's called. No one's allowed to touch it. No, all that stuff we've touched on. But if, if adults are going to get offended by that, if adults are going to get put off by that, then come on, we, we need to change that. Firstly, yeah. we need to educate ourselves before we educate our kids, because if we don't educate us, our, us ourselves as adults, how are we going to educate kids? How, how, well, are they learn? how are they going to know what's right and wrong? And we don't know what's right or wrong, or we get offended by it, or we get put off, or we're embarrassed. And for me, if someone come up and said that to me, do you have a penis or whatever? I'd, I'd, I'd laugh about it. I think it's a joke. It's, it's funny. It's, it's nothing to be offended by. Right. Well, and, and that's why I share that story, because there is that gap of education. So yeah. we will definitely be talking more about that. Mike, I know you wanted to follow up a little bit. Say one more thing. Uh, yes, I also forgot to mention that, like Nathan, I am too a survivor of child abuse uh, and trafficking when I was a child and haven't written a book. Maybe that's in my future. We'll see. Uh, but, I have a class on that. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, my story. Uh, yeah, I've been on here several times. And yeah, my whole story is out there. So thank you. And Kevin, I just want you to weigh in. Of course, you're the host, but you you have a story as well. So why don't you just get us a little bit caught up with you? Well, I am also a survivor, and the whole reason we're doing this podcast is because I felt like, Nathan, we need to talk about this. This is a subject that is kept in the shadows because no one feels comfortable, especially for male survivors. There's so much shame and stigma that it's kept in the dark because it's just uncomfortable to talk about, but it's necessary because we need to get out the true scope of the issue and also how to prevent it, what the real ways of addressing this are and how to support survivors. I mean, that's the whole reason we're doing this is to help support other survivors and and to give them a voice. And I'm so thankful we've had so many guests that are willing and have the courage to share their story. And also it shows how life-changing it can be when you do share your story. I think one of the things that we want to talk about today, well, I know what we want to talk about, but when we don't share our story, when we hold it inside, which the uh, statistic is 26 years before people will tell a story. And my guess is they try, the child tries and probably doesn't get any kind of response or know how to do that. And so then they, they go inside and men we're seeing with men, it's a lot different than with women. It's not harder or easier. It's just very different. And so one of the things is the more people know, and I think one, one thing, and I really want Nathan's story to be told on the Elizabeth Smart podcast, because people don't recognize that boys get abused too. I think it's, they're starting to recognize it, but I think we need to be shouting it from the mountaintops that we don't need to just protect our girls. We, we want to protect our boys as well. And so what happens is when we don't tell our story, 
story, we have behaviors. And we saw that in Nathan's book. He talked about how he acted out, you know, in the end, because he wasn't able to tell the story. He didn't know that that's what he was doing. And so we see, that's where we see this toxic or hyper masculinity. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And so let's just start, Kevin, let's start with what you have to say about it. We'll move on and talk about what it is, how it showed up, and then we'll go on from there. Well, toxic masculinity is considered those masculine traits that are stereotypical, that are, you know, in the media and so forth. But when men adopt them to the point of causing harm, when the behaviors are harmful, like the, you know, endorsing violence because men are supposed to be strong, having indifference towards women and even being putting down or using women as objects, not being able to show emotions. You know, men don't cry, men don't show emotions. So you suppress your emotions to the point of you're just stoic and, you know, you're unable to actually address any emotions because, you know, men are supposed to be strong strong and courageous and, you know, ready to fight. And hypermasculinity is very similar. It's just not to the point of being harmful, but you're still unable to express yourself emotionally. And basically, you're just following the, the gender roles that are portrayed in media and all the, you know, especially gaming, other forms of media where, you know, all the men are stereotypically really macho, really tough, really they're, they're packing guns, you know, the things we see in movies and commercials and in gaming, it's really prevalent. Do you so feel the, like that played out in your in your story in your life? You know, I was thinking about this because that this is not something I have felt like I've had to address much, but I had an incident recently that took me by surprise. I was with my wife and our nephews and we we're going to a restaurant and we parked our car and then we were walking to the restaurant and someone was coming out of the parking lot where the restaurant was. They were parked in the handicapped spot and they weren't handicapped. They didn't have a sticker or anything. And before he left the spot, he opened his car door and threw a bunch of garbage out of his car. And I was walking across the street and I saw this and it just set me off. And I walked in front of his car and this was a man and I stopped him from leaving and said, pick up your fucking garbage and just went off on him. And my nephews were looking at me in shock and I just lost it on him. And I made him get out of his car, get his garbage. I gave him a lecture about being in a handicapped spot. And I said, learn how to be a better human. I mean, I just went off, but that was really stupid because he was in a car and I want right in front of him. And nowadays, who knows if someone's packing a gun or something, he could have just gone off on me. And I realized I just, he just pissed me off and I just let it go. What and was his reaction? How did he react to that? He was really apologized. He was, he got really embarrassed because there were other people around and, you know, was really apologetic, which was in a way surprising. But the, the fact that I was just going off, I think just made him realize people had noticed what he had done. Good for you. Wow. Good for you. Well, I apologized to my nephews and I said, don't ever do that. <laughs> that was stupid. 
you know, because I basically put myself in danger. But that's part of this hyper-masculinity and also toxic masculinity is endorsing danger, being, you know, looking for dangerous things to do, doing dangerous stunts, you know, all these things you see in movies. People like to recreate them in real life, doing these, think of the jackass movies, for example, you know, just doing things that aren't reasonable because you're a man. You want to show off that you you can do this stuff. So, yeah. For me, hypermasculinity, I think, is for survivors, it's a way of masking our vulnerability by being super macho. You know, you know, a lot, there's a lot of survivors that get into bodybuilding, get into martial arts, do all these things to get tough because they want to protect themselves. And the end result though is they sh they've shown that there's studies on hyper and toxic masculinity is that you tend to have a lot more stress in your life you have a lot more depression you don't sleep very well there's all these effects on yourself because you're holding up this mask of being super macho but you can never express your emotions and that's one of the things we've talked about a lot is being able to express emotions and being able to express you know what's going on with us is so important in our healing well toxic men they don't need healing they're tough so what comes to me kevin is you know, it's like you stood up for something you believed in, but you were angry. You, you know, you were, it was coming from rage. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you look back and you go, man, I could have got shot. When you look back, how, how could you see yourself still standing up for what you want, but, you know, doing something, what would you, what would you, what would have been different? I think that standing right in front of his car and cussing him out would have been <laughs> a lot more appropriate. Maybe just flagging him down and say, hey, can you pick up your garbage? That's mm. really rude. Just being a little more reasonable about it. the way I addressed it was in rage and it wasn't the correct manner to actually reasonably deal with this guy who's being a slob. What I love is that you could recognize that like so it's, always, so it's hard for me to see you like that because you're always so kind and calm and reasonable, but also that you could take a minute and look at it and go, maybe this is what I would have done differently, you know, that your nephews were watching. So I think when you, when you talk about that, it's like, this is what we do and how we may react. But my goal is to strive to act on situations. Yeah, exactly. How about you, Mike? You want to weigh in? Yes. Like Kevin said, that, that toxic masculinity prevents us from oftentimes getting help. Mm -hmm. Real thinking men have this whole idea that we're lone wolves, not pack animals, but we're in it for ourselves. I can't show weakness. I have to just internalize everything and not go outside for help. Definitely not go to a shrink or a counselor or a coach, whatever that would show weakness. And I certainly can't talk about it because that too would show weakness. So that whole concept that's part of toxic masculinity where men can't ask for help, that they can't talk about it. And that's not true. Now, I did, knowing this topic was coming, I posed it in husband material. We've got a forum there and uh, asked some of the survivors there what they thought about it and what were their experiences and very similar. But one said it actually had both positive and negative effects. 
that the yeah the negative not expressing feelings but the positive side it kept me sane so when i really felt like i was going to lose my marbles whatever because of all of the stress anxiety and so forth ptsd what have you from the abuse that that toxic masculinity oh i need to keep my stuff together because that's my job as a man to keep myself together. So it kept him sane enough to get over the hump to where, okay, maybe he could get some help and could get some healing. But because of that pressure you feel from society to keep it together as a man, to be the provider and so forth, that kind of helped him keep himself together. And I could totally relate to that because, yeah, I didn't face a lot of this stuff. I mean, I knew I had a lot of issues and yeah, for a good decade and a half while my kids were growing up, I'd focus on them, focus on all this stuff, but not focus on me and the help that I needed. So, but it also kept me at least quasi sane. It kept me going until I could get to a point where, yeah, I'm ready to receive healing. So there is a little positiveness as well. And one thing I'd like to add is masculinity in itself isn't the problem. And there's many masculine traits that are positive and healthful. It's just, you have to look at whether you're going overboard to the point of harming yourself or harming someone else, like doing dangerous things because you think it shows that you're tough or being mean or downgrading women or treating them as objects to the point of being harmful. So masculinity in itself is not the issue. Yeah, that's a good, good reflection. Thank you, Kevin. Nathan. Yeah, for me, toxic masculinity is the outgrowth of men being groomed into believing that showing any form of vulnerability is, it's bad, it's weak, it's not manly. But that's obviously, that's just plainly wrong and it's, it's untrue. And like both men have, have, have touched on, and I was a boxer. I started boxing to, to, I guess, to protect myself and to show my masculinity, to, to, to be strong, to be able to beat people up. And I went to the gym every day. I was very fit and healthy and had the six pack and all that type stuff. And I had the muscles, but you know, that was to, I guess that was my, my, my beach body to show everyone that yes, I'm strong and fit, but then I did it as well to be able to protect myself and fight a recent study done on tears we shed from anger, from hatred, from shame, depression, sorrow, reveal that there are enough toxins and poisons in these tears to kill a rat. Mm. So imagine what it does to us as humans, men, men and women, but you know, we're talking toxic masculinity. We're talking about men. Imagine what it does to us as men when we hold these tears inside. So for me, what I say now is to, to feel your pain show your vulnerability, share the darkest secrets of your life, you know, to, to cry and openly communicate how you feel. I, through my life, I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to show vulnerability. Even though I, I cried a lot, I didn't know why I was crying and I didn't know how to handle that and how to communicate that. So for me, I would cry because I was so lost in, in the world and so confused and I didn't know who I was and what I was and where I belonged that I was so depressed, so lost and I would cry, but I didn't know how to then commute, how to transfer those, those tears into communicating how I feel and what was going on with me and where I was and about my past. You know, I kept it a secret for 25 years. I didn't tell a soul. So I did what I had to do to survive. 
And for me, it was the boxing. It was beating people up. It was the drugs. It was the sex. It was, you know, on the surface, being the coolest guy in town and, and living in New York and going out all the time and partying and having all the friends. But deep down, I was so lost and I hated my life and I hated who I was and what I'd become and hated everyone around me. But again, I didn't know how to communicate this. So when I say toxic masculinity is the outgrowth of men, you know, being groomed into, into believing that vulnerability is bad. And I think you touched on it, Kevin, that was through TV, movies, social media, just watching. And I was a big lover of sport and watching these sportsmen, especially in Australia, when they play rugby and it's rough and they beat each other up. That's how you had to be. Men don't cry. Men don't show vulnerability. Men don't show any weakness. And as much as I showed weakness in that I, I would cry a lot and I was so lost in the world and confused and, and, and depressed, I just didn't know what that meant. And I didn't know how to handle that. And I didn't know how to communicate those feelings. So yeah, I think if I can say anything now, it would be just, it would be to cry, to show your vulnerability, share the darkest secret of your life to, to openly communicate how you feel. And you are, you're more of a man from what I've learned through my therapy and my, my rehab and everything else, you're more of a man by doing this. You're more of a man by being vulnerable, by communicating, by crying, by expressing how you feel, and also by listening to others. I think that's the most mm -hmm. important thing to sit and listen to other people. You know, as much as we want to be heard and, and it's me this and me that, and I did this and I went through this, we also need to sit and listen to other people, especially when we're in relationships. It's a give and take. We need to sit and listen and, and see how we're affecting the other people so that we know how to change our ways, how to, how to fix that relationship, how to move forward as a couple or as a, as a group or as a friendship or as a family or as a whatever we are. Yeah. So I think that's, that's kind of where I stand on, on toxic masculinity and, and, and hyper masculinity. Yeah. I think we that's just it. vulnerable. Yeah. That's a good point because you know, there is a generation, I hope things are changing, but boys don't cry. You That's know, it. I did not raise my boys yeah. that way, but I remember people as a single mom saying to, to my boys, now, you know, you guys are the men of the house, take care of your mom. And I'm like, Hey, stop that right now. They are kids. They're not in charge of me. I'm in charge of them. But I had to speak those words and, and I couldn't, I can't tell you how many people would say that to my boys. Now you're in charge. So I know that our good friend, Doug is not with us because he was affected by the hurricane in Florida, but Mike wants to share some things that Doug had to say. Yes, I also want to throw my own comments in, but he's saying males carry shame for things done to them that do not belong to them. And the shame belongs to the people who've done those things to them. Uh, but males harbor that shame and it becomes internalized as anger and results in toxic masculine behaviors. Yeah. And Doug has written a book. We'll put it, the link to it in the show notes, but he uh, talks a lot about men dealing with all of these things. So thank you for sharing that, Mike. And then you wanted to weigh in as well. Yes. Adding to what you were just saying, Lori, about boys don't cry. I think perpetrators oftentimes will target boys because of the whole toxic masculinity culture, because boys not only don't cry, boys don't tell yeah. because of that extra stigma. Oh, if you tell this thing might happen to you, it would show weakness. You might be shunned. You might be called gay or all the other words that go along with that. And People think they're, they're weak, whatever. And to prevent that from happening, boys don't tell. And perps know that. 
So they will often target boys over girls if there's no preference because boys don't tell. And that's from that whole toxic masculinity culture. Yes. So considering the prevalence of this in our culture, what is the ways to help men or young men or kids to avoid this hypermasculinity when they're being taught there's this onslaught in all the media that you know men behave this way how do we get to the point of teaching them no men men have feelings men can express feelings men can be considerate and caring and take care of people not standing on their own two feet and being the strong one men can be vulnerable how do we get to that point I think, you know, we, t- we touched on it earlier and I was speaking about it earlier, again, through communication, through education. You know, I think we've all heard the, the saying, it's okay not to be okay. You know, I think mm-hmm. we've all heard that. But I think to touch on that and just to go that, that one step further, it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to show that you are not okay. I think, I think that's important because yes, it's all okay to not be okay. But if I'm going to not be okay and just hold it inside and not show it and not tell it and not express it, then what's the point? Again, I'm still fucking stuck in this same situation and I don't know how to communicate it. So I think as much as we say it's okay not to be okay, it's okay to show that you are not okay. It's okay to express that you're not okay. It's okay to talk about not being okay. So Again, I think with, with everything, for me anyway, it all comes down to education. We just mm-hmm. need to educate each other. We need to talk about this. We need to start having the conversations for people to learn, for, for the word to spread around, for people to become more aware of toxic masculinity, of male sexual abuse, of child abuse. Because if we don't talk about it, nothing's going to change. We're not going to educate each other. We're not going to educate the world. We're not going to change the narrative. We're not going to change the stigma. It's still going to be a, a taboo subject that we sweep under the carpet, that we we fucking pretend doesn't, sorry, we pretend doesn't happen and we just, you know, turn a blind eye to it. But if we, if we don't start talking about it, as much as we can educate ourselves by reading books and reading books and doing this and doing that, if we don't talk about it and express it and, and show it, and I don't know, are we going to move forward? Or are we just going to be stuck in this same, this same place? Nathan, something I noticed when I was raising my kids, other parents, if they had had something happen in their life, I could see they were protective of their kids. I saw a lot of parents that weren't noticing things like when the kids would be on the playground and I was hyper vigilant. So it was absolutely exhausting to me until I started to understand what was happening. And I think that telling our story and letting those people that never had any bad experiences know that things can happen because I think there's when there's ignorance on the parent's part, they don't even know that something could happen. Like we don't want everybody to be afraid all the time, but when they don't even have that idea that something bad could happen, they're not going to be watching for anything. And I think as parents, we want to always be watching. And if we don't know that we need to watch, and that's why I believe with Kevin and I in this podcast, we want to tell the stories and especially about males, because I think that we tend to think things can happen to girls and not boys. And so I think what you say is so important that number one, education, but number two, we have to hear the stories and believe that things can happen so that we can pay attention and protect our children. Yeah. Yeah. And as a parent who is hypervigilant, that was crazy to me that some parents weren't noticing, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know about you, but for me, watching kids on a playground is more than I can even bear. 
all the crap that goes on on a playground, all the meanness and that the workers are just there. They're not really paying attention. They're of course stopping fights. But whenever we let kids out there alone and we're not paying attention, I feel like it is just a disaster. And so that's what, you know, if I can bring anything to the table is parents know, just believe that things can happen. Don't just assume that everything's going to be peachy and nothing bad is ever going to happen. And I don't mean go off the rails with that, but at least be aware. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think we touched on this when we, when I was on your, on the podcast last time on the radio station last time about how, and we spoke about this earlier, how we need to educate our children so that they know that it's called a penis and it's called a vagina and no one's allowed to touch it and it belongs to them. And if something happens, talk about it. They're not going to get in trouble. We've spoken about this, but I, in, in a lot of my talks and what I've done is I've mentioned this and I've spoken about this. I've had so many parents and so many adults come up to me and say, there is no way I can have that conversation. I am not going to do that with my kids. I'm like, well, that's on you then. If something yeah. happens to your kids, then that's on you. Just to touch on that again, what I do love is with, with my memoir, I've had so many mothers read my book and come to me or write to me on, on Instagram and, and Facebook or whatever and say, Nathan, nothing like this has ever happened to me or to my children or anyone in my family. But after reading your book, the way I look at myself, the way I look at my kids, the way I look at my husband, the way I talk to my kids and talk to my husband is completely different now. So you've, you've educated me to the point where I'm a lot more vigilant and I'm a lot more aware of what's going on. And so I think that's one of the biggest compliments I I love getting from my book. It's not, Mm. wow, your book's amazing or you're an amazing writer or you're so courageous or any of that stuff. It's more the parents saying, you've changed the way I look at my kids. You've changed the way I speak to my kids and the way I speak to my husband and I I view my my own relationship. Because I think that's where they're learning and that's where they're growing. Yes, they can say you're an inspiration and you're so brave, but but did you get anything from the story? Did mm-hmm. anything resonate with you? Did, did it change anything in you? So to have parents and especially a lot of mothers say to me, I've changed the way I look and talk and everything else with my family and my kids. That's what matters. Cause that means to me that yes. Okay. We've touched something. We've changed and we've touched the nerve. We've, we've changed their way of thinking. So I know we're getting there and it's one step at a time and it's one person at a time and everything else, but we still need to do so much more and the world needs to hear us and the world needs to change and the world needs to respond to us because mm. we talk and talk and talk. And like I've mentioned to you earlier, I've had 95% of the media say to me, if you're a woman, I would talk to you today because you're a man. I am not going to talk to you. And that's the problem with the world is that they still don't want to deal with this. They don't want to know about male sexual abuse. And the statistics are riveting. We all know it's one in five girls. The the stats on boys used to be one in 20. Why? Because they didn't tell, right? So it wasn't there. And I think think it was Doug who said that now it's one in five or six with boys. And when we look at that, what is it, Nathan? It is one in six, but you have to think. It's one in six boys, but imagine the thousands and thousands and thousands of men that will never, ever speak up. So it's pretty much almost the same as women. It's probably almost one in three or one in four men, but they will never, ever talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and let's, let's open that door by saying we are opening a platform. We are opening a way for that man who's listening, that has a story that's never told, that now is 
there is an opportunity. There's the website, which will, I'm sure Mike or Kevin will talk about. There are platforms and the more men tell their stories, the safer our children are going to be. And I know that sounds almost counterintuitive in a way, but when people start to recognize they're not alone, I remember Nathan, your story was so riveting because here you're this little kid, eight years old. And you were so alone, you know, and I remember uh, our friend Luke trying to tell and everyone misinterpreted his story. You can listen to his story on our podcast. Mike had a story that happened when he was an adult, but then as he was brave enough to share his story, guess what? He started to understand some things that happened when he was even younger, that the sex trafficking and that, and we think sex trafficking is out here. It's right here. It's happening right in front of us. It's happening to women with children single moms, it's happening, kids in homes that we don't know. And I think with Nathan, he said, you know, my parents just thought I was a little weird. They didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. And so by you being brave enough to share your story, Mike, by you being brave enough to say I was sex trafficked as a child, by you being willing to say that people are going to go, wait a minute, you know, and I I think what Nathan said is true. You know, people don't want to hear it. When when Kevin said, you know, I kept telling Kevin, he loved voiceover. He, He loved you know, being able to use his voice for amazing things. And I'm like, do a podcast. He's like, this is the podcast. I'm like, why? (laughs) Why? Because this is what he's being called to share this story, to open the doors so that we can have healing, that we can maybe begin to keep our kids safer, right? This is all that we're, we're doing, sharing these stories that are not fun to share, but we're sharing them because it might make a difference. You know, you wrote a book because you might make a difference. Mike, you've done to make a difference. And so I saw Mike raise his hand. Yeah, I just attended a seminar on Zoom, uh, International Symposium on Trafficking and Sexual Exploitation. And lots of research on trafficking. And there's a whole segment called familial trafficking, where it's based out of the home and by family members, often immediate family members. And sometimes it's just to get basic needs met, but it's not just like the lower class trying to get their family fed. It's also middle class and upper class. And yeah, that's, we were very middle class and I was definitely trafficked by my father and it's extremely common. And what was so extra special about this, I had been interviewed over the past year by a researcher on trafficking of males and they talked to to 10 of us for their research and then presenting their findings at this workshop and sitting through that, listening to these researchers talking about my firsthand experiences that this is something you need to be looking out for. That was so empowering. I felt so seen and so heard because I had shared my story. And I was bold enough to look at my story and then uncover even more of my story. And then to be able to share it and have a researcher say, hey, can we interview you? Certainly. And they're using this as evidence, as information to share with professionals trying to serve those who are trafficked, getting this firsthand information. So now my story is helping the researchers, helping the clinicians, the frontline workers know this is something that we have to look out for. There's a website called I'm on Watch, and it's a training. It's about an hour long training. You watch a bunch of videos and it kind of helps you see that it could be going on in your neighborhood. So that's a a good way. And Mike, if this comes out as a training for the general public, will you let us know so we can at least, you know, let people get on there? 
Oh, certainly. I know as someone who was, I, I think it's being published and it's only on the professional journal website things, but I will see what I can do as far as getting more information on it, but it's for clinicians. And if you contact me, email me, I can get you in touch with the main researcher and she can share with you uh, the findings, her PowerPoints, her stats that she gained from this research. Thank you. One of the things I hope people will take away from this particular panel today is maybe you're behaving a certain way. Maybe you have this toxic or hypermasculinity and you don't know where it's coming from. You're like, and, and you can look into yourself and be able to go, wait a minute, maybe there's something, right? Maybe I've been covering up a story for a lot of years because so often when you look at kids in school, uh, I don't know if you've all heard of ACEs training, but it's where you teachers can look and they can say, so maybe a kid they tell a kid to put their book away and the kid throws it on the floor. So they're, they're like, okay, this isn't normal behavior. Let me, let me be kind to this child. Maybe there's something more going on. So maybe in you, there is something more going on that you've never recognized and you can find someone to talk to a counselor, a coach, somebody safe that maybe you can begin to tell your story. Because if you have this behavior, like let's do this in reverse, Nathan, you know, recognized he had a story and then he was able to look at his behavior. Maybe you can look at your behavior, go, there's something more. There is a safe place for you. You are not alone. If there is something you've been hiding that you have vowed, I'm never telling anyone. I mean, we saw that with uh, Vareme, who is now doing advocate work for victims of childhood sexual abuse. You know, it's time, lay it down, tell somebody your story and let's start to make these changes together. We can all do this together. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have worked with some survivors who have actually gone that way in their sexual addictions. They will end up womenizing, going string of, of sex relationships, like, yeah, the continual monogamy or whatever that term is, where they'll have one night stand, one night stand, or a toxic relationship after toxic relationship to try to show and that's not going to define me, that abuse. So I'm going to do the complete opposite and then getting to a point where they can heal from that and realize that's exactly what they were doing. That and is exactly what I was doing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. As much as I hate to admit it, but I'm, I own my shit and I'm, I'm happy to admit it. That's exactly what I was doing. Just from one relationship to the next one, one night stand to the next one, cheating and, and doing what I had to do to prove to myself that I was a man. As unhappy as I was and as much as I hated it, I didn't know anything else. And I didn't know how to, what's the word, treat myself, how to take care of myself, how to, to move forward. And the only way I, I knew how to move forward was through this toxic masculinity trait of sleeping with as many women as I can, sex relationships with men and women, because I needed it from men, because my first nine years of my sexual life, I was being raped by men. So I subconsciously, that is all I knew. And that is what I wanted. And, and for me, it was just the act with men. I just needed that. But with women, I needed the I needed the love and I needed the affection and I wanted to hold and kiss and touch them and caress them. But I did it. And then as soon as I did it, I had to move on to the next one, onto the next one, onto the next one. Because I didn't know how to be in that one relationship. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to show the vulnerability. I didn't know how to how to show up and just be real. Yeah. 
And that's yeah. how it yeah. manifests in behavior, in pornography, in mistreatment, in getting those needs met. And, you know, I think what is so amazing is that when you look at it backwards, you know, it's like you had come to this point where it felt like death. You know, it's like, I hate the way I'm living, but to tell my story is death and that you were brave and you did that. I see Kevin's anxious to say something. So I know for you, Nathan, it took until you got to rock bottom to face your issues, to face your, and, and for those of you who haven't read his book, read his book. It's, it is amazing. I would like to say, you know, one of the things I think a lot of men don't realize is it takes enormous courage and enormous bravery to come forward and talk about this, to come forward and share your story. And I think it's so important for us to recognize that, that it is hard, I think, for any man to come forward and, and do this. It is so hard that we need to honor and recognize that side of us that's vulnerable. And I think the hard, one of the hardest parts about this issue is it's not portrayed enough. We don't show men being vulnerable. And, and, and when it is portrayed, it's often in mockery of those men that are being vulnerable. And for me, the frustrating thing is it's going to take so long for all of the media and all of the things that are influencing us to change. We need to change that. And as an individual, Individual, it's so hard to change that other than just trying to for, you know, with our own children or the, you know, like my nephews and so forth, just setting the example for them. So they're not just getting that from the media and from what they see on TV or movies or gaming or whatever the media is. So I think for those of us that can, we need to portray this courage that it takes to do this and portray it as being strong, not being weak. Because I think often when they show men breaking down and having to be, you know, emotional, it's almost, it is shown as a weakness. We need to show it as strength. Well, and I think men may see it as weak women. I think women always see when a man like a man will cry at a movie or whatever. I think we always see that in, you know, as a way of we see it as endearing as in strength, right? We don't go, oh, you're crying in a movie. We're like, oh. Right. But I think men's view of it, you know, something that I want to put out there, there have been some people that throughout the years have told a different story. They were maybe about to be abused. When we look at the Boy Scouts, we look at the priests, but I was tough and I fought them off or I put them in their place. And that's the story they told themselves in order to survive. But they really weren't tough. They really were abused. But because of that toxic masculinity, they had to make up a new story. And if that's your story, and it's really not your story, get some help because it is causing you to behave in a way that is not healthy. So if you had to make up a story that you were this tough kid that fought off the evil person, and that's really not how it went, we want to give you permission to tell the real story. There's, you know, four people or three men on this, this call right now that would, would, in a heartbeat, listen, like Nathan said, I'll listen. Mike's a coach. Tell your, tell your real story. Let go of that toxic masculinity that you had to be a tough kid, that you had to protect maybe a parent or you had to protect yourself. It, it didn't, if that's not the way the story went, it's okay. And it's okay to be vulnerable and tell the real story. And you will get so much love and support and help and, and you will get a more healthy lifestyle. Your truth speaking and, and living your truth is 
is a powerful thing and it's your power and it's your freedom when you speak and when you when you speak and live your truth your authenticity your ultimate authenticity and your truth there's nothing more powerful or more freeing yeah I thank you Nathan. especially if as young you know as children and as we're growing up if we embrace things as boys that aren't considered necessarily masculine we need to allow kids to do that if they want to paint if they want to dance if they want to sing if they want to do those things that aren't masculine aren't you know boys don't do we need to allow them to be that way because that's how we learn to be you know who we are is by exploring all these different things. I know for when I was young, I was really into gardening and, you know, I loved art the most when I was in grade school and I was really interested in animals and, and I, I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to heal animals. And, and I hid most of that because I knew it was not considered a boy's thing. So we need to allow children to embrace who they are. And not only that, when you say we need to, if you have a child that it wants to do those things and you're having that thought of that's not okay, look inside. Where is that coming from? Because we know this is generational. And probably when we look at prison, most of the people in prison have probably been abused. If you, if the statistics are one in five, how many dads were abused, not telling their story, 26 years it's taken on an average. So look inside, don't cause your child to have that because you haven't dealt with whatever it is when you're going, wait, that's not okay. That's not masculine. I don't want my son to do that. Take a look at that and see where is that coming from so that we can give our boys permission to be boys, even if it means they're an artist, even if it means they're a dancer, even if it means they want to carry an umbrella, whatever it is, if it's causing you grief, look at that. You get help and then you help your child be who they're supposed to be. Going back to sharing your story, I know one of the biggest drawbacks, even for me, was the fear. Oh, if I share it somewhere, someone might find out, someone from my family, I could be found out. There are safe places to share your story. I first shared it on MaleSurvivor.org. They have a forum and they encourage anonymity because it's a public forum. It's Googleable. So they encourage you to not use your real name and you can go there. It's been in existence for over 15 years. So thousands upon thousands of men dealing with this stuff have posted their stories anonymously, but, and you're free to go on there. You don't even have to sign in. You can read all kinds of stuff, but if you want to share, come up with a name, come up with a profile and share there. Also, husband material, that this is a faith-based group. We do have a subgroup. It's a free app that you have with husband material. We have a free subgroup specifically for male survivors that I run. And that's also free and a way you can share your story and get support. And there's a chat room there as well. And male survivors, not faith-based, they do have a spirituality forum within that. And there are a lot of Christians there as well. But it's both are wonderful resources and very safe places to share your story. And certainly yeah. if you're in a crisis, there's RAIN, R-A-I-N-N. If you're in crisis, when you're just, because just even thinking about talking about your story can really bring up a lot 
and and cause depression, suicidal thoughts, panic, anxiety. If you're in that state, call Rain. We have the phone number I think on our website and and the uh, Facebook page, and or even just a crisis line in your area because they will help you get to the point of being able to manage those feelings you're having, and they can recommend counselors and etc. in your area to get you the help that you need. 800-656-HOPE. Yes. That's RAIN, and it's the National Sexual, Sexual Assault Hotline, sponsored by RAIN, and it's RAIN, R-A-I-N-N.org is their website. And yeah. it may feel like death to share your story. It may be, feel like your world will end, but I think every one of us here can guarantee you, be brave, share your story, get to the other side, and you will be so happy that you did. You're not alone. Other people have walked the same path, which feels impossible, but you there is support and there is help. And if, if that's one thing you can take away from here is that it's a story even if it's been a hundred years, it's so worth it. Yes, yeah. and by the way, RAIN stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Mm -hmm. So before we wrap up, I wanna go around and make sure everybody's had a chance to say everything they wanna say. Uh, we'll start with you, Mike, and then Nathan, and then Kevin. Yeah, I think we mentioned the media before, but the media just plays with toxic masculinity, but then also sexual abuse of males as well. They portray it as a rarity and something to be made fun of. And there's instance after instance for decades they've been doing this. Mm. And it's amazing and I'm very thrilled with so many male survivors in the media, uh, celebrities and so forth, who are male who come forward, like Anthony Edwards, like Terry Crews, who have talked about their journeys of being abused or assaulted. And so many examples recently in the last few years showing that this does happen to men and it's not okay. Thank you. For me, my last little bit, I think three of the most powerful words in the English language are, I hear you. And I think the most important thing is to surround yourself with people who hear you, who trust you, who love you, who believe you. Because I think that's a problem for, for most men as well. And I think we touched on this earlier is that a boy might come forward and say, I was abused or I was touched or this or that or whatever, or even some males, adults, I should say. And people say, you're full of shit. You're lying. Don't be stupid. That didn't happen. And as soon as you hear that, you shut down and you close off and you put it all back inside and you don't talk about it for another 20, 30 years, or you don't talk about it at all. You kill yourself, you, you, you go to drugs and alcohol, you violence, whatever it is. So I think, yeah, I think I hear you are three very, very important and very powerful words. And I think it's important that we all surround ourselves with people who, who hear us and who are going to be there for us. I think that's the most important thing. That was one of the most important things in my healing journey is to surround myself with the right people, to have that support network because you can't do it alone. You can't. And I think if I didn't have that support network, I, I don't know where I'd be dead. I don't know where I'd be. Therapy saved my life. Group therapy saved my life. The rehabilitation programs, uh, mindfulness techniques, AA, all of those, those programs. Find what works for you because it doesn't work for everyone. Find what works for you. Surround yourself with the right people. And the first step, and you know, it's a cliche thing, but the first step is always the hardest. But once you tell that story one time, it does get easier. And you'll be able to tell it more and more and more. And the more you talk about it, the more you tell it, 
the bigger the weight is lifted, the, the onions are being peeled back, the layers, you know, it's, it's, it is life-changing. So as hard as it is, and as much as you think you're stuck and as much as you think you're, you've got no hope and you're done and you, that's the end of it for you, it, it's not. And there is, there is that support network. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Well, one of the things I was interested in also about toxic masculinity is its effects on us when we're experiencing it from someone else. And I've had this happen in my life numerous occasions. And I, what's important is how we react to it. Do we react back in that same, you know, the same style? Are we going to become more macho because someone's treating us badly because they're being toxic? Or how do we react? Are we going to find a way to reverse the effects, to turn it back and not just react in the same manner, you know, not just fight, not just stand your ground and be tough, but what are the ways we can do without being toxic ourselves? And I think that's where I've struggled in the past. And I've been looking at, especially with this recent incident, um, how to not in return become toxic just because that's what we're experiencing. And I think that's really important lesson for me. And also, since we are examples for others, for our children, for our for the people around us, how we can show that you don't have to be that way. And I think that's going to be something I need to examine and find out how to behave in my life. Because I know, you know, working in construction field, very macho job surroundings, it's hard not to just react and be toxic. So I have to look at that and see how I can change that. You know, the word humility comes to me because that's kind of what happened after you blew up, you got really humble. <laughs> you were mm -hmm. like, and, you know, I, I, I think that when I look at this is this state, what Nathan said, those daily routines, staying in a recovery mode, we don't just tell our story, then we're fine. We stay in a recovery mode. We do the things we learn. We continue our self-help journey. And I think that's what you modeled for us being able to number one, tell us what you did and then be able to say, it's not the way I wanted to. And how can I be different? I mean, isn't that the way we all want to live our life in a way of continuing continual growth and, yeah. you know, looking at how we are and who we are and how we can continually be better. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. The thing I love about working with people in drug and alcohol recovery is they know if they don't every single solitary day connect with their source, the temptation is going to be too much. And I feel like in any kind of recovery, if we take that mindset that we have every single day, we have a quiet time, whatever that looks like. If you're a Christian, maybe it's prayer, meditation, reading something every single day, doing something towards personal growth, because if we don't, we get stagnant. And I remember growing up Christian and people be, did you do your quiet time? And I wanted to get a job working with the youth group and the, the gal for some reason didn't like me, maybe because I worked in radio. I don't know. But she said, well, do you have a morning quiet time? And I said, well, I actually do mine at night. And that made her mad. And she made sure I didn't get the job working with the youth, you know, but I think that's pretty extreme. But I think it is really important that we daily commit to who we are and who we want to be. It's not too much to ask. Yeah. And on that note. So, well, thank you all so much. Mike Chapman, Nathan Spiteri, who you can find his book. We'll put a link to it in our show notes. And Kevin, the 
host of the podcast and me, Lori, we're all here to, you know, support you. We're not counselors. Well, uh, two of us are coaches, <laughs> but we're here to encourage you to do what you need to do to, if you're holding back a story, it's affecting your family, whether you believe it or not, it's mm. affecting your family. And so tell your story, get the help. So that's it for today. We are going to have a prayer time if you want to stick with us. If not, we believe in you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories. If you like this podcast, please rate and review because that's how other people can find us. And we really want to spread this message. Father, I thank you for all your blessings, especially for these men who are courageous and brave enough to share their story and, and also to share it for other men. They're willing to do the work to help others and to be humble to show that they know that others need help and that they needed help. So Lord, I just pray that you would continue to bless their lives, hear their stories, and to help them to reach others that need to be heard. And Lord, I just pray for your presence in their lives and also for anyone listening, that you will give them the courage to share and the courage to find the healing they need, the courage to being vulnerable. Lord, I just thank you for the work you are doing in these men and that you would continue to guide them to helping others and to blessing others, Lord. And I just pray that we would we would be able to find ways to turn around this toxic masculinity and be able to be examples of what it's like to be masculine in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. In your name, I pray. And Father, I just, I think about the story Uh, the toy cars, Lord, that um, people saying, we don't want to hear it because it's about a guy that you would just bring somebody that would open the door for that, whether it's through the TED talk, whatever it is, so that this message could be heard. I just pray that um, that eyes will be open and uh, people will see the value of helping get this word out. I thank you for the courage and the strength and the wisdom in these men telling their stories. Lord, we know it's hard. We know it feels like death, but we know there is light on the other side. And I thank you for that. I thank you. There are safe people and that whoever's feeling strongly right now, that maybe they have a story or maybe they know somebody that has a story that, that this would motivate them to seek out somebody and begin to do the first steps, take the first steps and, and share a little bit. And as Nathan said, it gets easier. And, and I thank you for their willingness to share. I thank you that there is help available and that we don't have to live a secret life, that that is not, that's not what you want for us. You want us to be open and free and be able to live the best life you've created for us in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen.